This is Sunday morning worship service here at the Pine Level Pentecostal Ordinance Church. It's July the 22nd, 2023. Perspective is the name of the service from our youth pastor, Reverend Brian Tapt. Here's the praise team in the Pine Level Pentecostal Ordinance Church Choir. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out to a praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord.
seated while the praise team gets in the choir.
Everybody stand up. Go to somebody you had never seen before. Welcome them to church this morning. in our service when we uh, worship God by our giving. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for the gift of the ability to give. And I think it is a gift and I thank God for that. So thank you for your giving. And this morning, uh, as we go to prayer, let's thank God for all the gifts that he gives us. And also, uh, let's thank him for our pastor this morning. And the more I think about him not standing here, the more I miss him. So let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the many gifts that you give us, Lord. And Lord, thank you for this opportunity to give back to you, Lord, and bless your church, Lord. Thank you for the gift of our pastor, Lord. Be with him, this Father, as he goes through his testing. Lord, everything be wonderful and great in your name, Lord. Bless him, Lord, and bless this gift and the giver. In thy name we pray. Amen.
Good morning, everybody. I am beyond honored and privileged every time I get to stand on this stage and, or behind this pulpit to give God's word. And today is it's a heavy topic on my heart. So I'm talking about perspective. I have a pair of glasses on my slide up here. The reason and because this, a few weeks ago, does anybody else here wear contacts? Just me? Anybody? Does anybody wear contacts like they're supposed to? So, you go, girl. Look at you. Does anybody here work at an eye doctor? Because if so, I'm about to make you mad. Um, so, I wear contacts I have for a long 30-some, man, a long time. So, a few months ago, I, ran, I got down to having one left contact, and that was all I had. So, I told Mary Catherine, I ordered contacts. I ordered... I ordered two boxes of contacts because each eye is different. One's four, one's four and a half, whatever that means. It means one's really bad and one's really bad. So I told her, I said, run by, grab me a box of each, and grab me an extra right contact. So here I have two boxes of contacts. I have two contacts. So Saturday morning, yeah, yesterday morning, it was just me at the house. I got my contacts. I grabbed my my left contact and my right contact, and I went to the bathroom and put them in. Put them in, and it just won't write. Something won't write. One, I just couldn't see as well as I could. I was supposed to. Does that make sense? Come to find out, I had two left contacts in. I didn't find this out until I bumbling around the house for an hour or so. I mean, I just could not see. Just nothing was right. I finally dug them out of the trash can and I put two and two together. Well, theoretically, I put left and left together, not left and right. So perception is what we're talking about this morning. That's what I want to talk about. And perception can be defined in a few different ways. That scenario, that is an awareness of things through physical senses, especially through sight. I couldn't perceive distances. When I don't have my glasses on or my contacts, I can't see nothing from here. I just can't see. And I'm sure many of you agree with that. I'm sure a lot of you have been there. So today, we're going to talk about 1 Samuel 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. If you have been in the church world for about seven minutes, you know about David, you know about Goliath, right? If you don't, I'm going to give you a 30-second recap on what happened in 1 Samuel 17. So, there was the Philistine army. They had gathered for war against Israel. The two armies had faced each other, and they were camped for battle on opposite sides of a steep valley. So you got one here, and you got one there, and a valley in the middle, right? And a Philistine giant measuring over nine and a half feet tall and wearing full armor came out for 40 days. He was mocking and challenging the Israelites to fight, and his name was Goliath. Saul, the king of Israel, and the whole army were terrified of Goliath. So yeah, like I said, Goliath is like nine and a half feet tall. Now, I'm 6'3", 6'4", depending on what shoes I'm wearing that day. So, I mean, you're talking a guy that's much larger than I am, right? And I'm not talking about Mr. David, I'm not talking about Eli, I'm talking about this guy was large. So one day, David, the youngest son of Jesse, was sent to the battle lines by his father to bring back the news of his brother. 
Now David, he was a teenager, a young man, maybe in his early 20s, late teens at the time. And while he was there, David heard Goliath shouting all this daily defiance. And he saw the great fear that was stirred within the men of Israel. David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? So David then, he volunteers to fight Goliath. Now it took a lot of persuasion back and forth because not only is David a you know, an older teenager, younger teens, but he's, or I meant younger 20s, but he's also a little smaller than the average guy. So, I mean, you're like Mighty Mouse and, I don't know, Jack and the Beanstalk. But King Saul finally agreed to let David oppose the giant. So here David is, he's dressed in a simple tunic, he's got a shepherd's staff, he's got a sling, He's got his, sling, or his slingshot, and he's got his sack of stones, right? The giant is cursing at him. He is hurling threats, and he is insulting David. Can y'all picture this, like comic book style? That's how I see it, like a cartoon. As Goliath moved in for the kill, David reached into his bag, slung one of his stones, hit Goliath right in the head. It had found a hole within his armor, and it sank into the giant's forehead. He fell face down on the ground. David then took Goliath's sword, killed him, cut his head off, walked around like a trophy, I'm sure. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. The Israelites pursued them, chasing them. They killed them and eventually plundered the camp. This, this perception definition here is a good example of a belief or opinion often held by many people and based on how things seem. They were scared, right? They were scared of David. I mean, not David, but they were scared of Goliath. The army was. Based on how things looked. So, a few examples, a few other examples of this are just like me when I didn't have my contacts in. My perception was messed up based on how things look. Things weren't sharp. I saw shadows. Toothpaste and Bengay looked the same. Praise the Lord, I didn't mess that up. Shaving cream and whipped cream, right? I mean, your perception is just messed up. And then, you know, if you also take and think about belief or opinions held by people and based on how things seem, think about recommendations people give you. Oh, man, you should go see this movie. It is just the best. You should go eat at XYZ restaurant. They're the best. Or don't go to the Chinese place over there because you don't know exactly what you're going to get. Right? I mean, so we get recommendations. We, get, we base our perceptions on this stuff all the time. Don't go talk to so-and-so and such-and-such because she is... Whew, right? We base our perceptions off of what people tell us all the time. Even when it comes to people, and I, man, I hate that. I try my best not to do, not to let you tell me how to feel about them. I need to feel that. But anyway, that's left field. So, in these verses here, we saw a total lack of confidence by Saul and his army because they didn't understand their situation. They didn't have the right perspective here. They saw the situation from their perspective. 
And in verse 11, things looked very bleak, very hopeless. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly terrified. So my question to you guys this morning is, when do your circumstances terrify you? We're going to be all through Samuel 17 this morning. When do your circumstances terrify you? Is it when they're giants? When from your little perspective here, things just look so big and just so out of control. You see no possible way to defeat them or to overcome what you face with. In verses 1 through 3, we see that the battle lines are clearly drawn between God's army and their enemy. What does your battlefront look like this morning? What is it that you are facing this morning? Like I said, it just looks so big you just can't control it. Maybe you're facing some kind of life-threatening disease this morning. Maybe it's a heart issue. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's, I don't know, whatever it might be in your world. It is huge, and you're facing that. Maybe it's a financial giant that threatens to overcome you. Maybe the bills are just piling up. It's like Pastor Farrell said last week about the church. When one thing breaks, what happens? Everything breaks. I mean, we got air conditioners we don't even own that are breaking somewhere, I'm sure. Or maybe you're having a struggle relationally with somebody. And in any case, like I said, whatever your struggle is, whatever your situation is, it is big, 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 big business in your world. It is a big thing. And it's formidable. Your enemy is formidable. You can see it. So in verse 4 through 7, we see Goliath, who represents the size of the problem that they were having. He was huge. Like I said, he stood about nine and a half foot tall, and he wore bronze armor that weighed approximately 5,000 shekels, which is about 125 pounds. So that's like me walking around with Ella Rose on me. He had bronze gray greaves, which are like shin guards. They protected his legs. And he had a javelin and a spear with an iron point that alone weighed 600 shekels, which was about 15 pounds. I mean, this dude was massive, man. Absolutely like the biggest guy in the gym. Like, nobody's going to mess with him. But <clears throat> saying all that, it's wise to acknowledge how big our imposing giants are, how big they are in our little lives. But the most dangerous part of their situation in verses 8 through 11, we see that they were fighting this battle in their strength. And we'll see it again later on, but David never made that mistake because David was totally confident because he didn't have to fight this giant alone in his own power, did he? He had the Lord there. They were dismayed and they were terrified because they saw the fight between themselves and between Goliath and the Philistine instead of between God and their enemies. And what I want you guys to see today is that no matter what you're facing, if you trust God to deliver you, you will be able to face it with confidence. So does anybody remember the department store J.C. Penney? Or Penney's? Pennies, right? We all went to Pennies. We went to Pennies, we went to the tobacco field, we went to Pennies, got our summer school clothes. Not our summer school clothes. Our school clothes from working all summer, right? That's what we did. So during the Great Depression, Mr. J.C. Penney was hit really hard. 
It had endangered his health. He was anxious and he was desperate because of the huge financial loss that he had taken. I mean, you know, the depression, nobody had money, nobody could go to JCPenney's. So he won't sell anything. And during this time, he felt like he had absolutely nothing to live for. In the hospital, he got real beat down, and they were expecting him to die at any time. But one morning, he heard singing coming from the hospital chapel. The words of the song said, Be not dismayed, whatever be tied. God will take care of you. Entering that chapel, he listened to the song, the scripture reading and prayer. He later wrote that suddenly something happened. I can't explain it, he said. I felt as if I had been instantly lifted out of the darkness of a dungeon into warm, brilliant sunlight. I can only call it a miracle. And from that day on, J.C. Penney was never plagued with worry. He later called those moments in that chapel the most dramatic and glorious 20 minutes of my life. When he died at age 95, he left behind 1,660 stores in his name. My point is, when we trust God to deliver us, we can face our giants with confident faith in him. And then he will take care of you too. So my first, the first thing I want to hit on this morning, I want to talk about David for a little bit. David represents God's kind of giant killer. And we see this in 1 Samuel verses 12 through 26. Chapter 17, 12 through 26. You see, God's killers, God's giant killers, that sounded bad. God's giant killers have a heart that is after God's own heart. So they are chosen by God to represent him and to lead his people into battle. Verses 12 through 15 1 Samuel tells us that David was young, vulnerable, and weak compared with his brothers and compared with Saul and their army. He was just a shepherd boy to them, but he was a giant in the faith. In 1 Samuel 16, 11 through 14, David was anointed for leadership, but this was because of what God had seen in him earlier. David's best qualification was that he had a heart like God. In first, Samuel goes on to say, But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept God's command. That was Samuel speaking to God <clears throat> who had taken matters into his own hands in an earlier encounter with the Philistines. You see, God had removed his anointing from Saul because he was not willing to submit to God as Lord of his life. Saul was looking more like God was his co-pilot. And David fully submitted to God as Lord. And that's why Saul and his army were now dismayed and terrified. For they were on their own. They had dishonored God, and now they were defeated and distressed in battle. So... Could that be why you're feeling hopeless in your situation today? Are you wanting God to serve you, or are you, like David, wanting God's will to be done? Are you facing your situation in submission to him this morning? Are you relying on him? Because God's victories go to those hearts who are like his. 
Just like Jesus in the garden, are you praying, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup or may my giant be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So if you move from there and we go to verses 16 through 26, we see that they faced off for 40 days and 40 nights. And then David shows up. David shows up on the scene. He heard Goliath's defiance and witnessed Israel's terror. But he was so confused by both. David's like, why is this being allowed? Who does this guy think he is to defy God's armies? Don't you know who you are? You are God's army. You are God's army. We are God's army. We are his force in the world to fight the battles of his kingdom. And they are happening to us all day, every day. Social media, when you turn on the news, it's right there. Black and white, red, yellow, purple, green. It's right there. David understood this while Saul and the army of Israel saw themselves only as human. They saw themselves as a human army against a stronger human army. David was seeing things from a very different perspective. David was seeing them from God's perspective. And things looked way, way different on the other side. Goliath was only nine and a half foot tall in David's eyes. And David was a gigantic force in God's hand. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. We learned about this last week. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's 1 Corinthians 1-127. David knew that he was not alone. He knew that he was God's instrument. Israel heard and saw an intimidating and invincible giant. And they were terrified and they were hopeless. However, David... From the other perspective, saw a blasphemous, obnoxious, and defiant bully. And he was unafraid and he was full of hope because he knew that God would take this guy down. Israel had hesitated for 40 days in despair while David sprang into action. Let's do it. Let's get it right now. He immediately loved the opportunity to vindicate his Lord's name. David's God is much more than just a religious figure. He is the instrument of our salvation. Israel cowered while David was confident. And how about your confidence? Are you facing your giants today alone? Or are you facing it in the name of God? Are you keeping it to yourself or are you praying about it? Are you in God's face with your problems this morning? Our next thing I want to talk about is the weapons that were involved here. The best weapons for giant killing are found in 1 Samuel 17, 31 through 40. One of our best weapons is our past experiences. David volunteered for duty because he knew what God could do through one person serving him. Saul was right when he told David, you're not able to go out and fight this Philistine. David knew that on his own he could not defeat this giant, for Goliath was strong and Goliath was experienced. But David's confidence was not in his own ability. You see, God, God had already delivered David when he fought that bear or when he fought that lion. And just like them, this beast would be no match for God either. And our church, the church, needs those kinds of leaders. 
those who have been in combat with the enemy before and have slain a giant or two in their time. In God's strength. These people know God's power and they know his promises from their past experiences. How many of you here have had power experiences with God? How about when you got saved or when you tried to conquer your sin and your grave and he lifted you out of that dirty, dirty hole that you were in? You know better than to even try to face your problems alone, your giants alone. So our next proven weapon I want to talk about is David's childlike faith. Just as he has done before, he will do it again. Let's go teach this Goliath a lesson in humility. That's what David said. That's what God delivered him. Faith knows that regardless of the size and the strength of your giant, God can and he will give you a victory, for he has the ability. I've often heard someone say, I know God can do some things, but this is going to take a miracle. We've all heard that, right? Most of us have said that. In a sermon on this passage, Reverend Pence of Atlanta's Peach Tree Presbyterian Church observed, David has a naive, childlike faith in God. After all, Jesus did say, until you become as a child, you will not see the kingdom of God. And in the same way, young David looked out on the greatest warrior on the planet and said, so, not worried about you, bro. Not worried about you. The second thing here is God-made, not man-made armor. Verses 38 through 40. Saul's stuff was useless just as our means are for defeating our enemies. You have to use what God has given you. You've got to use your faith. You've got to use your prayer. You've got to use his words and the way he has made you that he has been developing within you. And the third weapon is God's presence. David knew that he was not going to face Goliath alone. Our God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. If we really know that God, our God, is an awesome God, we will go into battle encouraged and emboldened by his presence with us. So, in order to do all this, though, we have to fight, right? David fought in the name of the Lord, and that's who we must fight in. Goliath, as well as your giants, are totally unprepared for the real battle that they are facing when they fight against God's anointed ones. All superior strength and military muscle are useless against God's true warriors, for they are fighting in the name of their Lord Jesus. You can resist the devil himself in the name of Jesus, and he will flee from you. And when temptation knocks, don't answer that. Let Jesus answer that door. Philippians 4, 6-7 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Verses 48-51 through 51 goes on to tell us about how David is full of confidence. David ran toward Goliath. 
And one thing I'm sure we've all learned about in life and in spiritual warfare is that bullies often back down when you stand up to them. David triumphed with just a sling and a stone because he was full of faith and confidence in what his Lord could do. Goliath was not ready for that. He didn't even get one shot off at David. And then David took Goliath's own sword and cut his head. A decisive sign that the battle was over. Do not ever be surprised that you will be called upon to face some Goliaths in your, in your life. If you've been here for longer than 73 seconds on this earth, you know that there are Goliaths out there and they are waiting on you. And you're going to find yourself in some impossible situations that will defeat you if you face them alone. These are opportunities to reveal God's power and his presence, not only to your enemies, but to God's people who are trembling in fear and are dismayed. So, what we have to do here, we have to make a choice. And our choice is either to depend on God or to run for our life, right? Near the end of President Bush's speech to Congress and the nation a few days after September 11th, he said, after all that had just passed, all the lives taken and all the possibilities and hopes that died with them. It is natural to wonder if America's future is one of fear. Some speak of an age of terror. I know there are struggles ahead, and I know there are dangers to face. But this country will define our times, not be defined by them. As long as the United States of America is determined... And strong, this will not be an age of terror, but this will be an age of liberty here and across the world. And that statement is a profound and true thought. Either we're going to define our times or they're going to define us. David faced a choice. He could stand and fight in the name of the Lord and under his authority, or he could do like the rest of that army did and cower in fear and run away from battle, knowing, like Saul and his army did, that in their own strength they were already defeated. David, in his childlike faith, chose to stand, and he stood along with God. In the Broadway musical The Scarlet Pimpernel, the 18th century fictional hero encourages his followers by reminding them of David versus Goliath. The song goes, David walked into a valley with a stone clutched in his hand. He was only a boy, but he knew someone must take a stand. There will always be a valley, always mountains one must scale. There will always be perilous waters, which someone must sail. In the lyrics I just quoted, all they... In all, they, they portrayed David as just a young boy, even though he was a little older than that. The words tie the ancient text together with the challenge that the heroes faced. More than that, the lyrics say that there are always challenges or lyrics that we must face. So, do you ever feel overwhelmed? Sure you do. We all do, right? Do you ever think that everything is stacked against you? Do you ever feel like there is absolutely no way out of this valley, of this, this hole that you're in? 
Do you ever feel like life is just one no-win situation after the next no-win situation? That is the way everyone on Israel's side of the battlefield in the Valley of Eli felt. Everybody except for David. And that's our choice today. Do we see giants and your battles from God's perspective or do we see them from our own perspective? Are we trying to defeat the giant of sin in our own power or are we letting God take that from us? Because if we're trying to do it on our own, we have already lost. We never even got off the start line. You know what defeat is like if you are. Are you even thinking about dealing with the giants on your own right now? Why not surrender it right now to Jesus? Let him have that. Put that at the feet of his cross and submit it to him. John 10.10 tells us that the thief has only come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is absolutely right. The giants of life have come so that we will to steal, kill, and destroy that life came to give you, each and every one of you. They don't care how they do it. They want to steal. They want to kill. They want to destroy. They want to destroy the abundant life, the promises that God and Jesus have made to you. And they do everything they can to try to take you down. But I want you to understand this morning that you are an overcomer. Every single body in here, you are more than a conqueror. You are more than victorious. And you are a pioneer that came from a long, long line of giant killers. You come from the line of Moses that was a giant killer. Joshua, he was a giant killer. David was a giant killer. Jesus was a giant killer. The disciples themselves, they were giant killers. The people in this room with faith, you are giant killers. You come from a long line of giant killers. And yes, your giant may be big, but your Jesus is so much bigger. I'm not saying that the giant in your life isn't big, but I'm saying Jesus is so much bigger than that giant that's in your life. It may be, Luke 18 tells us that what is impossible for people is possible with God. It may feel impossible for you to take down your own giant. And you know what? You're right. You're absolutely correct. You cannot take down your giant by yourself. The Lord will give you more than you can handle. Amen? so tired of people saying, the Lord won't give me more than I can handle. Oh, bet. Walk in my shoes, please. But you're right. By yourself, it is impossible for your giant to fall. But in Jesus' name, it's time for you to face him. Step forward and move forward in your life. Today might even be the day that you do that. And God knows where you are this morning. God knows the battle that you're in. He knew it before you knew it. And you are not alone. In the fight that you're in, God is on your side. What if I pray and nothing happens? What if you keep praying and something will happen, right? When you get up in the morning and look out the window, just like the song we sang earlier, this might be the day and I am ready. In a moment, in an instance, everything can change. 
Fight now. Fight today. Today can be your day. You're not on your own, and God's in the center, and you're not going to fight it alone. However, there's a caveat here. In every promise that's in the Bible, there's always a but. To be God's people, you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And not everybody is God's people. Because not everybody has what? Not everybody has made Jesus their Lord and Savior. But you can do that. That's very easy. Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes through the Father except through me. So in order to be God's people, we got to go through Jesus. we got to go through that door. And if we haven't made him our Lord and Savior, he ain't going to open the door for you. Many people say that they believe in God, but if they have seen Jesus, yet they reject him, they don't know the Father. And they cannot get to him in their sin. Jesus' death on the cross made a way through the curtain to the holiest of holy places. Now, because of Christ, we can enter boldly into the glorious presence of our Father, or the Father. But, if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, you can't do it. You just can't do it. It is impossible for you to do that. Anyone who accepts Christ, Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord becomes a part of God's people. Their relationship does not come through church attendance. It don't come through, well, my grandma was saved, so I'm saved. You can go out and preach on the corner all you want until you ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. You are missing the mark. Absolutely missing the mark. It's a deliberate choice to follow God alone. 2 Corinthians and Mark 8.38 both indicate that a choice has to be made. And you don't know what tomorrow holds. I mean, we don't know if we're going to be here in five minutes, ten minutes, or ten days. And by not making a choice, you are deliberately making a choice. And that is not for God. That is not for Jesus. So today, just like tonight in Pine Level Students, and just like last week in Pine Level Students, we have a choice to make. We can be like David. We can be like Joshua whose choice was, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So my question to you this morning is, who are you following? The world's gods or the one true God that died for you, that gave his life for you? If y'all will, let's please stand right quick. You ain't got to come up. We can stay right where we're at. Um, And we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for an invitation prayer, and I would love if all of you would do that out loud. That way nobody will feel weird or awkward. But maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you haven't made that choice to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Or maybe you feel like, you know, kind of like when you're at the beach and you get out in the water and, you know, your family's here and you're here, and then you look up, and then you're way over here and they're over there. Well, that's the situation. God has never left you. You are the one to move. And maybe you feel that this morning, and maybe you have moved away from God. Well, he is standing right there. He is waiting to take you back. Like I said, all you've got to do is ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. Do it with a genuine heart, and you are immediately, you're immediately invited into the gates of heaven.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much this morning. Lord, we pray for Pastor Pharaoh, Lord, and I pray that this message has struck chords in this place today. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you that we are overcomers through you, Lord. That no matter how big our Goliath seems, that we are nine and a half feet tall. Lord, I pray for each and every person here, Lord, and I pray that somebody makes the choice today to choose you. And if that's you out there, all you've got to do is say, Lord, come into my heart, remove my sins. I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior from here on out. Lord, I pray that somebody prays that prayer this morning. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the service. We thank you for all that you're doing, not only right here in our little area, Lord, but that you're doing everywhere. Lord, continue to be with those that need that healing touch, Lord, those that can't be here with us that are fighting whatever it is that they're fighting this morning. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing, and we thank you for what you did, that you opened that gate for us, Lord, that we could be there with you in eternity. In your name we pray. Amen. So, yeah, come back tonight. Brother Matt's going to be right here at 6 o'clock. If you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, we meet over in the fellowship hall at 530. Uh, I think Samuel's got us a game lined up. We're going to have snacks, and we're going to talk about choices some more. Make a choice. Either you're on defense or you're on... If you're on defense, you've already made a choice. Go out and love somebody that can't love you back today. Y'all have a great afternoon. Thank you. This is the Pile of the Pentecostal Church Incorporated, copyright 2023.